Welcome to the Total Car Score Podcast, bringing you the world of cars from inside the car. And now your hosts, Carl Brower, Lauren Fix, and Javier Mota. Well, welcome back to another episode of the show of these crazy years. And if you thought that we have done some crazy stuff starting this podcast in the middle of the pandemic, we have a very special guest that did something even crazier. I guess I don't know anybody else who did something crazier. How are you, Wendy? I'm well, Javier. Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Wendy Orman from Infinity. She moved well. You moved from here. You were with Nissan and you went to Japan with Infinity, right? Correct. Yes, I was in Nashville and then moved to Yokohama, Japan. In the middle of the thing, like right when the, at the worst possible moment, right? Right, but yeah. you had some interesting experiences too, right? This, the whole process was really different. Do you want to tell us about that? I really want to hear this story. It's, um... <laughs> well, let's say hello to Carl first. Hi, <laughs> I'm sorry. No. <laughs> no, 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 don't worry. I'm just sitting here. Nobody loves me. No, uh, Wendy, I remember watching you on social media and you had to do, I know, I'll just say, for instance, I saw you guys had to do your 14-day quarantine when you landed because it was right at the height of everything. But, but go ahead and tell us kind of what you consider to be the high points of that process. <laughs> well, or, the low. or the low. <laughs> or the low yeah. points. The dramatic moments. Um, yes. We, we had expected, uh, my family, my job started April 1st and the uh, New York Auto Show was supposed to happen and the school year was going to end. And so the initial plan for my family was that I was going to um, fly to Japan uh, mid-April and, and then they would come in June. Um, after the school year ended. And if you can, this is March of 2020. So, you know, COVID is something that's kind of mostly in Asia and is starting to appear in the U.S. because we're right about the one year anniversary. Um, so no one knew a whole lot. And the panic and realizing it had showed up in the U.S. was starting to really set in. So we were on spring break uh, mid-March, like right around St. Patrick's Day. And I started reading the headlines and I had seen when we'd visited to shop for houses that they were closing borders. And I started to really get nervous and so we came home. I got my visa on a Monday. Um, I had a conversation with my uh, teacher friend of ours from my son's school to realize that there really was a very, very slim likelihood that he was ever going back to school in Tennessee for eighth grade. So we uh, got the visa Monday at 11 and we packed, we sold two cars, packed our entire house, all of our belongings um, donated a ton <laughs> and boarded a plane. Um, what was supposed to be Sunday, but then that flight got canceled, ended up leaving on that Saturday. So essentially in four and a half days, a family of four packed up our entire existence and flew to Japan to move. <laughs> and wow. it was by far the craziest thing I've ever done in the spirit in the span of a week. Um, and the closest I want to feel to feeling like I was in a Jason Bourne movie <laughs> of like fleeing the country. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, wild that had to be the wildest experience getting on a plane and going through customs and like taking all your belongings yeah it well it's nuts because we weren't just traveling for fun we were actually moving so trying to make sure we had what we were going to need not really sure what was going to happen on the other side would we even be allowed out of our houses you know i don't know how to shop for things in japan at that point you know so we were frantically running into target and walmart and buying all kinds of you know 
toiletries and stuff we thought we might need, toilet paper because at the time it was being rationed, you know, like all those sort of things, extra hand sanitizer. Um, and then getting through, um, uh, we had a couple flights that got canceled and moved around and we weren't really sure we were going to even land in Japan. I had a colleague who had flown from, um, uh, from another country and when he got to Japan, they said, I'm sorry, we've closed the border to your country and he was sent back. So the entire 17-hour flight with the family on the plane when we finally at least left the U.S., I was nervous the whole time that we would get in. And by the time we'd landed, they'd have said, oh, change the rules. U.S. citizens are not allowed in anymore. So, um, yeah, all the paperwork, all the, the process. They didn't do testing at that time, so we didn't have to do the any of the PCR tests. But we were... Um, picked up. We did get through customs. And then um, I had, of all things, a delightful Russian man named Vlad, who was our official shuttle driver to quarantine. Um, Vlad ended up being our lifeline for the next few weeks uh, after we got out of quarantine because we didn't have the ability to drive here in Japan. Um, but yeah, he drove us to a hotel and then we were hauled up in two rooms, um, thankfully with a view of the ocean at least. But uh, for the next 14 wow. days, um, eating hotel food and washing dishes in the sink. <laughs> it was, it was yeah, crazy. Um, even leave what? your hotel room for any reason? Uh, we were allowed to leave um, only to get food and return. Um, and so, and obviously we were very sensitive about being welcomed into the country. So we did not want to push any um, boundaries. So we would, uh, we would have one person leave to go get food and return. And yeah, we didn't leave the hotel, our hotel rooms for those 14 days. Yeah, that's uh, what I love doing uh, this kind of uh, media, like podcast, like talking just to people, because it, the automotive industry, it's people and the, the good and the bad things that happen to everybody who works there. And like you guys in the PR department, the engineers, the designers, everybody who does something to be able to create an automobile. It's really amazing. And most people don't realize what, what all the, uh, in this case, drama that you went through. Uh, to to be able to work and and continue operating, right? I mean, that's that's the the the, the beauty of it. Like, there's people always behind the car. Yeah. Oh, and so many people. It's there's an army of people that go into every decision, from the color of the leather to the feel of the door handle to the transmission and the more obvious stuff, the bigger pieces and parts. That's my favorite thing about the car business too. Have you been out of the country since you got there, uh, Wendy? We're coming up on a year. Have you been? outside Japan's borders or have you been stationary since you got there? No, Japan's had a very restrictive uh, immigration approach to COVID. And so they shut the borders. Oh, this is another important point. 36 hours after we got in country, they shut the borders to Americans and Americans were not allowed to enter um, Japan until, gosh, they didn't reopen until mid-November. So had we not packed up and moved in the four days that we did, we would have been stuck. I would have been doing working in the middle of the night to stay on Japan time from the U.S. for at least six or seven months. In fact, many of the Infinity wow. team members that were moving to Japan did get stranded. And for a while, we had members in Germany and New Zealand and Hong Kong and all around the world um, stranded in various places due to the border restrictions. Um, so I have spent the last almost full year in Japan and have I've been able to travel, thankfully, because they have managed COVID fairly well here around the, the country itself, but have not been on an airplane since the one that took me here. So hopeful in 2021 wow. that changes. <laughs> Yeah, usually you're like us. You're 300 days a year plus on the plane. Yeah, it's really strange. I think in my son's lifetime, this is the most I've ever been home. <laughs> <laughs> how many, how, bad. 
if you were to Some... get, try to guess like how many let's just go you know do use the time machine and go back and take a different uh, reality if there hadn't been covid I mean, you just moved there. Obviously, you were gonna, you were going to be based out of Japan, no matter what. But how many times do you think you would have flown over the past year if there had been no restrictions at all? Oh my gosh! I can just give you what was the agenda for the first three months of the job. It was, you know, to New York for the New York Auto Show, to Shanghai for the Shanghai Motor Show, to Dubai for an event there, and then I think we were going to do um, some time. Uh, uh, back in a couple different locations here in Hong Kong and Japan. So, I mean, I, I was looking to do at least four whole countries in the first three months of okay. the job. Um, so, yeah. you know, multiply that times extra auto shows and product launches and everything else. And who knows? Yep. So obviously yeah. you and the whole company have, have, have made huge adjustments. And like, as we are seeing from others, from our side, we are too. Uh, what do you think is going to happen? I mean, like it's, it's oh, how long is going to take for things or, or are things ever going to go back to our back normal before March 2020? You know, I think I think in so many ways, there are some elements of this that have changed the world for the better. Um, I know myself, I was never really a user of uh, like FaceTime or Zoom or anything that allowed me to see people. Um, and, and now, I mean, for the first three months, my team was in various countries and we got to know each other. My, I managed my entire global communications team all on virtual conference and Zooms and, and FaceTime calls. And I think those, some of those changes in our behaviors have been accelerated and have been permanently changed. And as far as the business, though, I cannot wait to go and, and, and actually share a meal with an executive and journalist again and actually be able to talk to people in person. Um, the benefits of digital and the shift to the digital launches um, have allowed automakers like us to be able to really connect directly to customers in a way that I don't think we were ever able to before. And when you see the number of people you can connect with directly, not just through the media outlets, um, I don't know that we'll ever um, be willing to walk away from that idea going forward. So I, I foresee this being more of a hybrid model where we take the best of the digital and then we layer in the parts that we really feel like we're missing out of being able to be together physically. Um, but to be able to do this, I mean, I, I'm in Japan and you guys are across the United States and yet we're all uh, you know, together on this call is really tremendous technology and and i'm super super grateful to have lived through a pandemic in this year and not um times past when this stuff was not available to us yeah i knew this was going to happen in a really interesting conversation so the first segment is coming to a close but uh stay with us for a little bit more please and now let's talk business because you were there obviously for work and you've done a lot but i give us an update on infinity when you come back okay Back in Japan with uh, Wendy Orman from uh, Infinity Communications, Global Communications team with uh, Lauren and Carl. And I don't know, um, Carl, Lauren, do you, Carl, why don't you go with uh, some questions for business side now that she's already established in Japan, right? Yeah. I mean, you're already there. <laughs> well, I'm curious, you know, you're launching these new products. We've seen some good, interesting product activity uh, from Infinity in the last uh, several months. Uh, I'm curious you've got the global perspective versus when you were in the U S with Nissan, Wendy. So how many of these products are going to be multi-market and where do you see kind of infinity's growth potential 
uh, beyond the U.S. where it's been a brand for for you know several decades now or multiple decades now? What, where do you see kind of the brand going globally, and how are some of the products you've just introduced going to be launched in terms of global uh, global sales? Sure. So uh, we've described this as really the dawn of a new era for Infinity, and I think um, it's just a really exciting time to be part of the brand. Uh, this spring, starting in North America, um, in fact, just in the next few weeks, we'll begin launching the all-new QX55, which is um, a really passionate product um, for the team in the sense that it really harkens back to the um, Infinity FX and its design inspiration, which is one of the North stars for the company, one of the the real kind of uh, landmark products that really established the essence of the brand of being daring and challenging convention and all of that. So it's exciting to launch the QX55. It is a beautiful new crossover coupe um, that I think is absolutely designed in such a way that it's going to draw a lot of attention. So that's the first big one, and that will start in North America and then throughout the year uh, roll out into um, all our other global markets. Um, and then we follow that with. Uh, what is really, from a business perspective, one of our kind of cornerstone products, and that's the QX60, the three-row um, SUV that uh, people have certainly gotten to know as, as one of the iconic, you know, nameplates of, of Infinity returns um, it, with a very new design expression and, and a ton of new tech and, and all new interior that I can't wait for you guys to see. So we'll be showing that in its production form in a couple months, and that will be uh, arriving um, around the world as well. So it's neat having come from the U.S. perspective to really see how products um, happen globally and which products um, really appeal for example, our QX80, obviously we know, I know Americans love big SUVs, um, but to find the commonality in the Russian reception to the QX80s and to hear about the Middle East and how much they love taking those and, you know, driving them, you know, around town and in the sand. And um, it's just been really interesting for me to shift my perspective and think about all the emerging markets um, as much as the, the U.S. that I've uh, grown up in in this business. Lauren? Yeah, I'm really excited about Infinity. I'll, I'll disclose I used to be a trainer for Infinity, so I'm a little biased. I've always, <laughs> I'll take I, that. I've always, I thought it was, a, I always thought it was a really amazing brand that was, in some cases, not compared fairly to the German brands. I think you get a really great value, and the build quality for Infinity has always been great. And I'm excited to see some changes. I, I feel that. For some reason, they kind of got lost a little bit, but it seems like they've really got new ground and new product. And it seems like you're sort of transitioning to more SUVs. Are you going to add a performance line SUV like you've got the performance cars? Is that something that's part of the growth potential there? You know, uh, what I can tell you is that we've spent the last year with our new chairman, Payment Cargar, really analyzing all of the options that are available for us as a brand and really um, choosing to spend some time figuring out what's made Infinity great in the past um, going back to the really the core values and the principles of the brand, um, deciding what makes us different than the other Japanese brands, what makes us different than the German brands and the other luxury makes, um, and really figuring out what the right path forward is. Um, so I can't tip our hands on on what is to come, but I can tell you that everything's being discussed right now, and uh, and that there's a lot of really exciting energy within the company uh, on on the prospects of where we go next. So Wendy, is uh, Infinity in the situation like uh, other brands where the U.S. is still, what, what, or maybe still the, the number one market, but the rest of the world is really where the, the real growth is going to come? 
Yes, I think, you know, we're very similar to um, a lot of other automakers in that perspective. Um, the U.S. market is where the brand was really founded. So our dealer network is the strongest and our sales volume comes from there. But the opportunity for luxury brands in China, the opportunity in the Middle East, the opportunity in um, Mexico and parts of South, Af uh, South America and Russia, all the different markets that we um, are currently doing business in really hold tremendous potential for additional growth. And um, making sure we've got the right product lineup in those markets is certainly um, a big part of what we're working on. When we were uh, in uh, New Mexico, one of the last events that we went was the 30th anniversary, right? When we went and they show some of the new product and obviously there was a electrification element, of course, everybody's doing that. Uh, mm -hmm. What can you tell us about that? You know, I can tell you that we are um, going to be committed to offering vehicles that really fit uh, whatever customers are looking for, and that will be a brand that's going to offer choice when it comes to powertrains. So we know, particularly in the U.S., there's some customers that are, you know, definitely looking for EVs, some that are more comfortable, some of the more hybrid technologies, some mm -hmm. that um, from rural parts or the middle of Texas that might uh, be a little hesitant to let go of their ICE engine. So we're looking at a strategy that's going to um, give us options um, for everybody um, and really have vehicles that will suit the needs of, of a whole wide range of customers going forward. So I think Lauren really liked that answer. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I'm really, I'm really excited to see it become more of a global brand. I know that it always has been, but I think it's, there's just something about the Infinities I've always liked. They've always been cutting edge. You were the first with blind spot detection, around view camera. I remember you used to have self-healing paint. There's a lot of really neat things, and I like to see uh, Infinity come back to lead the pack again with some really great technology. And, and I know it looks like it's happening, and we've got sort of an early preview of the QX55, so I'm kind of excited to take it for a test drive. Yeah, you know, I, ha I have to... Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say one of my favorite, our values are human, daring, and forward. And and maybe it's the rebel in me, but I love the daring piece. And I think we're definitely trying to tap into that, um, that the to be bold enough to create some of those innovations that really stand out. Some of those segments like the FX that actually started a whole segment that didn't exist before. I agree, Lauren, we've got a really rich history there. But, you know, one of the things that I think really makes Infinity this really special, unique company, particularly here in Japan, is the diversity of the team that's here. I can't think of, and I certainly in my 20 years in the business have never met an organization that's as globally diverse as the team we have at Infinity. I think we've got 30 nationalities represented here in our office in Japan. I think most people think of, you know, Japanese companies as being predominantly Japanese. And, and in Infinity's case, we have a very global footprint and our organization reflects that. So our chairman's from France and my marketing director's from from England and we've got people from India and Hong Kong and various parts of Asia and all around the world. So it's been a fascinating experience for me. I've learned as much about Russian customs and, and British idioms as I have about Japanese culture and customs in this job. And I think that international flavor is really what makes Infinity a unique brand. Um, and that comes across in the product. Carl? I'm curious, Wendy, because uh, I know there's been a history of Infinity's global headquarters moving around in past times, but where is, is where you're at now considered the global headquarters for Infinity or where is that if it's not where you're at? 
it, it is it is here. And you know, Infinities have always been designed in Japan. Um, we've manufactured quite a few of our products in Japan, um, with some of that manufacturing being in Smyrna and a little in China and Mexico. Um, but uh, but the engineering and development design of the products has always been here in Japan. The headquarters, you're right, has moved around. Um, but I think part of this uh, reopening of the headquarters in Yokohama is part of our kind of spiritual reconnection, if you will, with our heritage and our roots as a brand um, that's part of um, the broader Nissan Motor Company and, and is really based in the traditions of Japanese hospitality and, and Japanese minimalist design and some of those things that I think make us a unique offering. What are the most popular models? Here's a question that I'm curious about is what's the best seller for Infinity in the U.S. market? Uh, versus its other major markets, like like just kind of what resonates in each market from the Infinity brand, from the major markets they're sold in. You know, I think the QX60s and the QX80s do really well for us in uh, in all of our markets. Um, the QX50, being that D segment size, um, is also um, a, a major sales leader. I think that, from a volume perspective, is our biggest. So, it, I think all the markets that we do business like are, like their SUVs, <laughs> um, which I think is not so unlike the American preferences for uh, for cars. Um, I find that I find that interesting, right? Because it was just seen as such like a an American thing. I remember Jeremy Clarkson on for years on Top Gear used to make fun of us. You know, it's like, oh, those fat Americans, they need their big SUVs because they're so big and fat. <laughs> and I remember at the time thinking, or maybe we're just ahead of a trend that's going to be global, Mr. Clarkson. Yes. And I, I, I know which of us is right now on that one. So. Yes. Yes. Now, I mean, here in Japan, the, the cars are definitely smaller, um, but we aren't currently um, on sale in Japan yet. Although I do see some FXs and some, uh, we found an imported Q60 here recently. So um, oh, cool. a lot of our markets love love the big trucks. Um, you know, Russia and the Middle East, I'm finding that Russia and the Middle East actually have a lot in common when it comes to preferences to the American customer, um, which I think is sort of um, ironic and funny geopolitically. Um, well, but I, the things I, you I learn... Remember when- I remember when we were in Morocco a couple of years ago on a Nissan event and uh, yeah, the, uh, the Titan was quite a hit over there because most of the people on that event or, you know, a lot of the people on the event were from markets that never would see or had never seen that truck. And uh, they thought it was pretty cool to have a big V8 truck to drive around in the sand out there. I think in Japan, I've only seen one full-size U.S. built pickup (laughs) truck, Um, and I I about like drove off the road when I saw it. Um, But yes, in our other markets, um, not so much pickup trucks. In fact, the pickup truck segment and the appeal of pickup trucks is definitely an American thing. I got in an argument with someone the other day because they described, um, well, like they're well, but they're it's a luxury vehicle, not a pickup truck. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) When's the last time you got in a pickup? Because right. where I come from, a pickup truck can be very luxurious. Um, but yeah, so the, the truck thing is definitely the one thing we haven't successfully exported, but uh, the SUVs have caught on for sure. Yeah. So Wendy, um, thank you very much for taking the time with us. And uh, one, one final question. What do you miss from the U.S. in, in this year? Flavored coffee. <laughs> ah, we can send you some oh drops or you know something <laughs> dunkin Don't, dunkin donuts french vanilla coffee um i would pay a mint for and my son misses flaming hot cheetos um but yeah oh well that's easy stuff to get that's what amazon well you have, have other services besides amazon but i'm sure you can get that there uh, you can for like a hundred dollars in shipping um, <laughs> oh so wow. you can send you a case just because <laughs> i am absolutely accepting donations <laughs> <laughs> I don't well, believe that. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, again, thank you very much. We we know that you already are into tomorrow because it's like 13 hours ahead of us, right? Yeah, um, something like that. So you have the whole day ahead of you. Uh, so take... Really, thank you very much because you are our connections to the world now. We haven't traveled either in years. So. Yeah, really. No international so, travel for a while. I know. And that's not going to come back anytime soon. So thank you very much again. And we're going to share all the information about the new Infinity products here on our different outlets and all that. So it was really nice to hear you again. And uh, as we've been saying for a year now, hope to see you in person again soon. Yes, thank you guys so much for having me. It is delightful to hear you all real time um, across the oceans. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Take care, Wendy. Thank you. Just right. Bye. 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 Well, that was interesting traveling to Japan uh, through Wendy's experience, huh, Lauren Carl? It yeah, was awesome. that was awesome. I mean, yeah, it was I mean, great. I mean, I love the food, but that's a whole experience. I mean, her her pre prescience, you know, isn't that the word? Prescience, whatever. Her ability to see what was coming and just literally get out the door in time to get to Japan before the world shut down uh, was pretty impressive. And she, as she said, she had a lot of coworkers who were just being a little more relaxed, thinking there'd be another week or two, and they were stuck in uh, in different markets for months and up at different times of the night because they weren't in the Japan where to be on her team yeah. where she had to be. Well, anyway, since smart. then she's been she's been working in a lot of uh, digital presentation, and we had I don't know how many we have this week, Lauren. Like, are you been keeping track of that? I think we had like twenty eight. Oh, we week. have a full <laughs> list. It's it's crazy, honestly. I I think it's too much. I know. Um, I mean, we're doing, I had four today. I know that we each try to do different things, but this is, this is getting to be too much, you know? Yeah, well, if you went back one week, cause there were three, I think last Tuesday, it was like the, the McLaren and the Mitsubishi and the nine. And the, the Porsche. Yeah. yeah. That was yeah. one week ago today. If you just did a, did a, a measure from one week ago today to today, I, I think it would be Javier, like 20. I think there has been like 20 in the last yeah. week or at least like 15. Yeah, I was kidding. Like it really was like running in the uh, Geneva Auto Show, one of the big shows from hall to hall, try to catch up. It was like really like sitting in one and going to the bathroom yeah, and have virtual, a glass of water and come back to the other one. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, one of the important ones I think this week was the Ionic uh, Five, right? Like uh, Hyundai is uh, launching a electric sub brand. One of your favorite topics, Lauren. But I, I think, I mean, obviously yeah. I haven't driven it, but it looks well, really cool. Well, I proved cool. my I facts. Really... You, yeah. you both have to admit that I have proved myself to be correct. Look what happened in Texas. Yeah. yeah. Oops, well, no power. Yeah. Your only vehicle is electric. You're kind of in a little bit of a bind. And what did they do? I'm just the facts. I'm just reporting the facts. Yeah. Right. And yeah. They, they went and got Ford trucks. Ford was generous enough to lend their trucks with their generators. And I... I, I tell you, I'm sure Carl and I were busy with all this coverage, but you got to admit, uh, you got to think about that stuff because if you don't have a generator and there's no power to, to run your generator, no gas, no coal, no solar, no wind, uh-oh. We yeah, and we've, been saying, we've been saying for years, you know, how is California supposed to go all electric when they're getting brownouts and blackouts with 5% electric? And so everyone's like, how can that state do it? I, I think two weeks ago, if anyone would have said, well, you know, the state that really is going to blow up if they're all electric cars, it's going to be Texas. Everyone would be like, no, why would Texas have a problem with that? You know, well, yeah, here we go. Nobody so, will have to leave it. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, like besides all that, and I know there's a lot of issues and like that's not like the, the reality that they're trying to present us 2035. No more 
internal combustion car sold in the I mean like I don't know but anyway the Ionic five it looks cool to me I mean that design I think like very square lights and shapes and all that and the interior with those uh, seats that recline like a, like a lazy boy I love those in the pictures at least that's like the next big thing you know I always think about how things come in clumps you know like once upon a time a couple of years ago someone came up with the idea that when your hands are full it'd be nice if the hatch opened without using your hand and so they came up with the kick underneath now how many cars guys have that feature right well this is the new one this is like you know ford f-150 redesigned 2021 had the fully reclining seats and you know now it's months later and oh we're gonna have seats that recline in this and seats that recline in that so you watch that we're just on the start of this one in the next 12 months That'll be one of the things that we have seats that totally recline in this car. That'll be what we'll be hearing in all. Yeah, the we're seeing that in the in the Kia Carnival, actually. There you go. I mean, no, you're talking about an entry level SUV. Yeah, normal car, and you can have that. That's pretty cool. I, I think. I, I yeah. I'm, I'm not against it. I think it's a great feature, but I think it's just you know, okay, here's the new trend for 2021 and 2022. You'll see that as as the bullet point that all the car companies will be touting on their new new models. Well, it'll be tough to fit them in some of them. Like uh, the Mercedes-Benz C-Class also debuted this week uh, digitally. Yeah, it looks really good because it's basically what they've been doing in the past, which is like the baby S-Class. And it's like, I think the proportions are better in the C-Class than in the S-Class. I agree. So you- I think it's beautiful. And then the interior, how they've integrated the, the um, upright, center uh, uh display screen you know i mean they've had pretty good screens in like the e-class and s-classes we know where they're like one big screen from the gauge cluster to the center but this lower price cars and a lot of cars mercedes being one of them that were guilty of this where it just looked like it was stuck on you know it looked like this you know it wasn't a retracting uh center display screen but it looked like it almost should because it was just sticking out of the center of the dash well fixed in the new c-class the way it's integrated and kind of lays back right there between the gauge between the um vents uh in the center of the dash looks really yeah i i uh, joke a little bit about that mercedes-benz decision like for me was like somebody had an ipad when they were designing it and forgot it on top of the dashboard what are we doing oh i just nobody's gonna notice just stick it just get some glue get some glue stick it on the dash okay we're good (laughs) well i have to say gentlemen this is the one thing that really really impressed me about the c-class more than anything was the fact that they did the best presentation I've seen in a long time. They schooled the other brands, especially the Germans. Now, we were talking about the Audi presentation last week and how it was so draining. It was like, we don't need an hour and a half. This is supposed to be a presentation for the consumer. Now, we're used to going to Geneva, Detroit, LA, and and they always try to do something to impress us. But if you don't know who Zach King is, you should look him up online, especially on Instagram. He is an illusionist. He's one of the best in the world. They were smart. They partnered in with him and then put him in throughout the presentation. It was about 17 minutes long. I have it on my YouTube channel, Car Coach Reports, but I have to say that was one of the best. And I watched it. And I said, you know what? They schooled the other brands because later on in the day, here I am watching the some of the worst presentations or two more later on in the day that I'm like, this is painful, where they really need to start realizing that we're sitting here at our desks all around the planet, looking at these screens, you gotta you gotta keep us engaged. And I think they did a fabulous job with that. Any other um, new cars that are we that I haven't mentioned that came out this week? I mean, uh, again, there the have been a lot. The Kia Carnival, the the non yes. uh, non minivan minivan. 
It looks really I like good. the carnival. I don't like the name. I think everything about it is fabulous. The presentation, what it offers, really impressive. The name is just, I'm sorry. I'll just say it. Ready? It's stupid. Stupid. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you with that. But uh, I'll be the apparently... one. I'll be the one. Lauren Fix said this car name is stupid. That is, it's as dumb as K5. I'm sorry. Wow. You know, but not the carnival. Ooh. No, carnival <laughs> is a whole other animal. A little more yeah. sophisticated, you know? <laughs> yes. Well, apparently that's what like, the trend in Kia, because as you mentioned, they changed the Optima, which was very successful. And now this one, I mean, that's a, what was it? That's Sedona, right? Uh, right. It was Sedona. Yeah, Sedona. was a nice name, you know? Yeah, but I um, mean, guess they're changing names, and that's probably gonna keep going with them for that. Uh, Lauren, I saw another piece of news this week that caught my attention. Well, the Consumer Reports uh, annual study, and again, like all the Lexus, uh, no, Mazda came in in the first place, first place for the first time in their history. But as a sidebars that they do on the stories, something came about the destination fees in the cars, and honestly, like I think ninety nine percent of the people. Don't even pay attention to that. They don't even know where it comes from. They just have to pay because it's there. You you probably have a more experience of that. Can you explain where that comes from? And is that a way for the manufacturers to really increase the prices of the car without actually doing it? Because they can say, oh, the price is increasing only $50. But yeah, the destination fee is increased like $500. Right. I actually have done um, articles and videos on dock fees you should not pay. It is amazing how some of these dealers and certain areas will charge you these documentation fees that that drive me crazy. And, and I can't believe they get away with it. Uh, part of the doc fees that you'll see, uh, and, they're, and they're normal. This is like pretty much the norm. They'll say, well, we charge X to prep the car. No, 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 no. You don't. <laughs> that, that, that's part of the price. That's part of what people pay. And I don't, I don't think the average consumer knows that, and they get tricked. Um, and then but, they'll see the oh, there's paperwork fees to move the paper from one side of the desk to the other. I, but there's, you know, I, I list them because this is pretty common. That there pretty much is about eight fake fees that you shouldn't pay, and and some of them are like crazy. There's an advertising fee. There's no advertising I fee. Know. You know. But the, the- but the destination fee is actually something that you actually see on the street. I mean, these big trucks hauling the cars from the ports or the factories to the dealership, that somebody has to pay for that. But yes. who controls that? Is that the manufacturer or the, the trucking company or who decides that price? Because I think I saw, and I remember which brand right now escaping my, my mind now, but uh, one particular OEM announced that they have increased that price. So I guess it comes from them, right? Right. They, they actually calculate the fee based on an average of what it costs. So they know the longest distance would be from the factory to California if it's made on the East Coast or from California if it's produced on the West Coast to the East Coast. And they take an average fee of cost because you've got to calculate in. And there's a lot of calculations. And the reason those prices go up, gasoline, gas prices went up in the last month, at least here in New York State, about 90 cents a gallon. I don't even want to know about California, Carl. You could probably tell us. It's uh, no, it's nuts. it's. It's terrible. And I was talking to someone else about this earlier, you know, and of course we lost the, the Keystone pipeline, but um, you know, yeah. the joke of course Insurance, is that if, if, yeah. if there's an issue that happens on the other side of the planet that's related to oil, about 18 minutes later, all the signs are changed on your local gas station. And you're like, how does it, how did, how did that change 
from a stuff that's going on in the Middle East, you know, 18 minutes later, my gas prices went up. And then when that thing is solved in the Middle East, it takes another, you know, three weeks, five weeks, couple months, and then the price comes down. You know, so, so they raise it as quickly as they can and they lower it as slowly as they can, as we know. Uh, right. So it's like the pipeline wouldn't have been done for a couple, you know, for a while anyways. How's, how's the pricing sh- of gas shooting up when the pipeline just was canceled uh, like two weeks ago? But, um, well, I can actually answer that question, believe it or not. And and the reason for that reason, the way it is, the way it is, is because it's the same thing as if you use up the milk in your refrigerator. You have to go buy more. It's going to cost you more. So if you know that's the case, you raise the price. So they're notified on a daily basis the cost of gasoline is going to cost them to replace the fuel in their tanks. So with that in mind, and they know that they're going to get a notification that morning saying, "Hey, it did cost you." $20,000. Now it's going to cost you $22,000. So they just divide it up by the gallon. And so the rates yeah, go up right but, away. But then, they, but then they hold it up, you know, then they don't drop it immediately. It's like, Oh wait, that mm-hmm. problem is solved with that refinery, you know, and then the future gas is going to be yep. cheaper. Oh, well I'll drop the price right now. Or maybe I won't, you know, we, we know that that's how it works, but on that's the destination, the destination charge, it's gone up substantially uh, for some manufacturers more than others over the last like five to seven years, far more than inflation, far more than the cost of transportation. Yep. And I, I absolutely am convinced that, you know, like you were saying, Javier, this is the way they can say car starts at 19995, you know, this way yeah. or that way and stuff and all. And it's like, mm-hmm. shh, don't think about the $1,200 destination charge that used to be $800 a few years ago. Shh, don't talk about that. Right. So. But you have to think about that. You're talking about insurance, transportation, your employees, and the cost to hire that employee. That includes all the disability and all the rest of the things that they're union, and then the gasoline and the cost to transport. And so you start looking at the cost per mile, and it gets to be very expensive, and someone's going to pay for it, and it's always the consumer at the end. Well, I know. And now I'm, I'm really annoyed though. Cause I just went to like, you know, target to buy a shirt and the shirt was, you know, eight bucks, but then there was like a $3, you know, Oh, shipping it from China cost. I couldn't <laughs> believe it. I was really, yeah. <laughs> anyway, well, well, that's the uh, way it's going to go from this point forward. We all kind of know that. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, very interesting show. I mean, like definitely going to Japan, going through all those news and new cars and all that. So thank you guys for sharing your time another week. Um, and uh, Lauren, Carl, we'll talk to you next week, okay? All right. Thanks. Take care, everyone. Thanks, guys. Thank, Thank you, you well. for listening. Thanks for listening. For more, check us out online at TotalCarscore.com.